It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and, of course, whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Michael Steindl and I'm joined today by my co-host Kay Wenigal. Good morning, Kay. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good, Thanks. Today we're speaking with Professor Tara Dakal, Assistant Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering, Binghamton University, State University of New York. Professor Dakal has his BS and MS degrees in Physics and Materials Science, um, graduated in those in 1998 and 2001 respectively. He then received a PhD in Physics from the University of Florida, Canada, in, sorry, um, 2008, where he studied magnetic oxide thin films. He joined the University um, of South Florida as a postdoctoral researcher and was involved in the areas of spintronics, solar and thermoelectric materials. He has been working at the Centre for Autonomous Solar Power, CASP as abbreviation, at Binghamton University since April 2010 as a research scientist. His research includes thin film solar device fabrication using abundant absorbers such as CZTS, which is copper, zinc, tin and sulphide, and FES2, ferric sulphide. His interests also include transparent conducting oxides to be used in thin-form solar cells and display devices and atomic layer deposition of oxides and sulphides. Dr DeCarlo has published more than 40 peer-reviewed journal articles. Today we'll be discussing his latest report on how to make better solar cells. Welcome, Professor DeCarlo. Can you hear us today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, we really appreciate you and, and staying back. Um, can you start by telling us initially uh, how you became interested in climate science and your, and your journey that led to where you are and your PhD? Well, um, actually, I, uh, um, you know, my interest uh, was in physics. I, that's why I, I did my degree in physics, and I, I wanted to do uh, applied physics. Actually, when I was a graduate student looking for advisor, I went, uh, you know, from one uh, one professor to another and asked him for a research project. And um, you know, my first question would be, uh, where would this be applied? So uh, my initial, uh, you know, interest was in applied research, and that's how I ended up working with uh, my advisor, who is Professor Amlan Bishas, uh, in Tintin devices. And as you said in the introduction, nicely, that my um, uh, my research was in magnetic oxide, and it is very complicated system. Magnetism has been um, so advanced. They were saying that uh, they say in, in the, the field magnetism um, is more advanced in, in uh, industry than in academics. That's what they say. So it's mm-hmm. very complex, and sometimes I felt uh, you know a little lost in the in the, the complex magnetic oxide systems. Uh, and as the, uh, as the solar came forward, I was 
looking for some opportunity to work on solar. Uh, and, you know, my postdoc at the University of South Florida had to do, um, in, in part, had to do with solar and in part had to do with magnetism. So I, I took that position. And eventually when I came from uh, University of South Florida to New York at this university, at Binghamton University, my uh, sole research was in solar and, and different layer uh, that come into a solar cell. And the transition was not that hard because I was a thin film device person. I had a lot of material, uh, science knowledge, and the, and the semiconductor physics required to do uh, the semiconductor type solar cells, although I'm doing very different kind of solar cells at this time, including uh, semiconductor type of solar cells. Mm-hmm. So the transition wasn't hard, and, and uh, is a, after I joined solar, I have been uh, really happy, and then I, you know, the, the, the thing is when uh, in, in solar we have a goal, we have a goal set, I can see my goal and I can do research, try to uh, get to that goal. And the goal is to make solar cells with lower cost. And it has, you know, the impact. I don't have to tell you the impact. Yes, we, we, um, Kay's going to ask you about that in a minute uh, because that's a big emphasis. So it sounds like you've been doing a fair bit of work in... And then applied physics and eventually I came to the solar. And and it sounds like you've been concentrating the research on thin film solar cells, which is fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about the Centre for Autonomous Solar Power at Binghamton University and the type of research that it does cover? Yes, uh, sure, thank you. Um, actually, the uh, Centre for Autonomous Solar Power was established... Uh, I came here in 2010. Um, I believe it was in 2009 or so. Uh, the name autonomous uh, comes, uh, you know, from the fact that we want autonomous uh, power generation. So we have a from uh, solar research going on, which I am leading that uh, that part, and we also have um, professors working on on supercapacitors and thin film batteries. So the idea was. Sorry, did you say thin film batteries then? Was that thin film batteries you mentioned? Yes, thin film batteries and uh, uh-huh. more emphasis on supercapacitors. So, and and supercapacitors. Uh, yes, and, and so the idea is to. To come up with a technology, the thin-film solar technology, which, is, uh, which uses abundant materials and as well as non-toxic materials, and then you have supercapacitors. So, and these two devices, you integrate these two devices to make uh, an autonomous uh, device that that produces power, that provides power at any time. So that's how the name is: the Center for Autonomous Solar Power, and we're still working uh, towards that goal. Mm-hmm. In your article in the conversation recently, you mentioned that the global demand for energy by 2050 is estimated to be about 30 terawatts. And you also yeah. said that the sun covers us with 120,000 terawatts at any one instant. But at the moment, we're actually only using 1% of our electrical power for PV, aren't we? Can you explain why yeah. we, we aren't using more of this free energy? Um, well, I think, uh, um, yeah, um, why we are not using more... One of the reasons is we don't have um, much support uh, in terms of, you know, the research in solar 
And then the, uh, the another fact is that people, general public, is not very much engaged. Uh, I think that that has to uh, take part, and people have to engage push government to provide more resources. From so just to give you a perspective, probably you um, you have heard about it in the U.S. alone. Uh, you know the, the amount of money that is spent during Halloween is uh, it, it, I, I have read it. It's, it's a seven billion dollar, and out of the seven billion dollar. $2 billion is used uh, for decoration uh, and, and costume. And out of that $2 billion, $350 million is used for costume for pet animals. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that thing, but that's the same amount. $350 million is the amount that is spent in, 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 in a solar energy research grants. So, <laughs> Puts it in perspective, research, doesn't um, it? Yeah, so, you know, more research grant uh, should be, um, you know, provided. One, uh, another is that people have, have to be engaged. People have to make probably a little bit uh, of sacrifice. But again, it all comes down, everybody has their own situation. It all comes down to the economics of it. Uh, the the I think that the key point, the, the holy grail of this is the cost of the solar cell, uh, which has to go down. It is going down, actually. It is going down. The, the trend is showing that we have actually there was a um, roadmap study from professors uh, from Stanford and UC Berkeley. They predicted that by 2050, I can talk only about the US, by 2050, it is possible that the, all the power sources, the electricity, transportation, heating, cooling, and industry uh, power, that can be provided by renewable source only by 2050 in the U.S. So that's a that's a very good good sign. Mm. I mean, the predictions are made based on what what is the trend right now. So um, you know, and out of that, I mean, the, the renewable energy, 45 percent of the renewable energy, which consists of water, wind, and sunlight mainly, because it's uh, geothermal, there is tidal wave powers. Um, but mainly water, wind, and solar. It's called WWS. So, so renewable can provide all the power required in the U.S. by 2050, and out of that renewable, 35% can be provided by sunlight. Mm. So the trend is good. More has to be done. And the prediction is that by 2050, it is in fact possible. Dr. DeKal, this is um, the BZE program, which stands for Beyond Zero Emissions. It's a, an Australian think tank that has done world-leading research on trying to get to zero emissions within 10 years. Um, you're talking about 2050, but we believe we need to get there much faster, as I no doubt you do. Um, so we're looking... You're, you're saying we need investment. I, I, uh, it's a very fuzzy phone line, um, but I think you were saying something like $7 billion was invested in Halloween, but you're only getting something like $350 million invested in solar, and we need to do a lot more, both in your country and ours. At, at the moment, I think your article is quoting solar cells as somewhere around the $3 per watt to install. I know in Australia a good quality install is, is around $2, and some of the bargain ones are nearer $1 a watt, but that's with the benefit of government subsidy. Um, I, I haven't worked out 
what that comes up to, but it, it's obviously going to be somewhere closer to your $3 or what. Um, you're trying to get this down to under a dollar or what, and, and how quickly do you think that might happen? Um, well, that's a, I mean, that's a, um, I would say that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry. I don't know if I can give you the number, uh, but I think it, I can at least tell you that uh, how quickly it, um, it can happen depends on how much innovation can be done, how much investment can be done into this. Um, you know, we have, recently we have a new type of uh, uh, solar cell uh, known as Proskite, which I'm sure you guys know. Proskovites, you're talking about? Yeah, the, yeah, the Proskite type, Proskite-based solar cells have some really very high efficiency. And, and uh, the issue with the Proskite is the, the lead and also the stability of it. Um, but again, um, you know, the, the encouraging thing is, of course it has lead in it and it, it, it has organic components which do not last too long, but the fact that this type of structure has shown such a high efficiency in a short period of time, it, it, it opens more web, uh, avenues to try different things within the same structure. So people, including myself, we are trying, you know, lead-free-based materials, organic, and also organic-free post-credit structures. So um, more innovation is required uh, for more innovation again, uh, more um, research spending, expenditure from the government side uh, is required. So that people have to be engaged and people have to make a little bit of sacrifice, which is a lot to ask for. So eventually it comes down to innovation uh, and low cost. Yeah, as it usually does. For those of us who have just yeah, joined us... Yeah, very tough question. You're to listening that. to... But I'm, I'm really surprised, even uh, after looking at the comments on my article on, on the conversation, uh, that in Australia... Uh, you, you know, the cost of installation after installation was uh, $2 per watt. And also there were some people who, um, if you had asked me, um, well, the solar is one thing, but you cannot use solar during the night time. So, uh, you know, it, and now it comes down to energy storage. Uh, can you have, uh, I think the price was around $200 kilowatt hour. Can you have that kind of battery? That cannot store his device, 200 kilowatt per hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, that 200 kilowatt hour is, is, is already available as a, as a separate piece of... Yeah, and that's a, that's a pretty reasonable figure for people to work with at the moment. You're listening to the Beyond Zero yeah. Emissions show on 3CR and we're with Professor DeCal talking about the development of cost-effective thin film, solar films at the centre of the Autonomous Solar Power at Binghamton University. You are currently investigating ways to make the thin film solar cells using those materials that are abundant and non-toxic and reliable and highly efficient and cost-effective to manufacture. That's actually quite a tall ask, I would imagine. But you've already identified two materials that have a great potential as solar absorbers. Pyrite, which is also known as fool's gold, and the copper zinc tin sulphide. How are these solar absorbers different to those that are used currently, or as you say, the first generation solar cells? Um, well, uh, the, you know, the, um, as, as you said, the pyrite and uh, 
and CDT as in terms of um, the material properties and the and the uh, abundance and the, and uh, and the cost of the material. These two materials are, are very promising. Um, however, pyrite, uh, which actually contains iron, iron and sulfur, you know, whenever there's a sulfur, it, a sulfur likes to be in different uh, form. So it is uh, the reliability of the material, the stability that the material stays in the pyrite form, is, is the biggest challenge. Uh, getting it, getting it stable is the biggest challenge. You're saying. Uh, can you say the question again? Uh, getting it stable is the biggest challenge due to the sulfides. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. I mean, especially the iron sulfide, because iron sulfide you can easily get mm-hmm. into the air becomes um, iron oxide. You know, the rust is is, is very easy to form. Um, plus, there are other more fundamental issues, uh, such as the you know uh, one of the most fundamental issues is the surface state. So this material has uh, you know some some stays on the surface that uh, that is uh, you know that doesn't form a good interface when you put another layer into it. Solar cell has to have uh, various layers. It's similar to actually a pin junction, right? It, it has a positive iron pyrite, the positive material, you need a negative material. So when it forms an interface because of the defect states on the surface, it's very hard to remove. Uh, that's biggest challenge in terms of physics point of view, but in terms of reliability, also the uh, the material uh, it easily forms into other phases. It, it, iron and sulfur they love to be in so many different phases. Mm. Uh, so that's the that's the challenge. It highlights so we haven't been able to make the device, but we get the CVTS, which is again copper zinc and sulfide. Yep. Um, we have made uh, good progress. And, and the, the reason is that the CGTS system is similar to SIG system, which is which already has around 22-23% record efficiency and is, is available commercially. Uh, but the, the SIG system has indium and gallium, which are, again, um, you know, not cost-effective. Also, gallium has a toxicity issue with it. So CGTS is ideal. We have made progress. And we don't expect that now, um, as I said in the paper, we, 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 use, we use pure sulfide CVTS and we have 7% efficiency without anti-reflection coating. And we aren't expecting that we will slowly move from 7 to 10 to 11, 12. Uh, we are looking for something, uh, you know, uh, something like quantum leap in terms of device performance. So uh, right now our approach is how to... Uh, understand the material, what, what are the issues, and what, what maybe nobody has looked at uh, the, the other layers that come into this, that complement CDDS to form a solar cell. So we're hoping that we'll have a quantum leap from you know, 7 to 10% to eventually beyond 15%. Okay, um, this line is very poor. Just for the listeners, you're looking at the copper zinc tin sulfide options. You've already got 7% and you're hoping for a quantum leap up to somewhere perhaps as high as 12% in the near future. Okay. Was that 12% that, that you said or 20%? I wasn't sure. Uh, would you mind repeating that question again? I'm yeah. having a hard time to hear. Yes, it, it is a poor line, isn't it? Um, I was just wondering when you said you were going to, you were expecting a quantum leap, 
Are you talking from getting from 7% to 12% or 20%? Uh, okay. I mean, um, the 7% is, is, again, it's a lab-level efficiency uh, using tools here and there. I, I think in, if we had the industry, let's say this same uh, recipe we have, if it's the same recipe, probably this is already 9% in, in clean environment. And if you add into uh, reflection put into it, we are assuming our device is already 10%. So now from 10%, um, right now our focus has been not to look into the CGPS itself. It's, again, this material is multi-component. It, it loves to be... Its natural state is with a lot of defects. So that's a challenge in itself, but there are two skills of thoughts in it. You make high-quality CGPS or... You, you change your buffer layer you, that comes on top of it so that your, your, your junction is good. So there are two slow cuts. There are a lot of defects in the CVTS and the, or the junction is bad. So we are looking at more into the junction right now. So if we can fix the junction, if we can use certain material and have a um, junction, with, we call it band offset, that somehow can bypass the defect that are inherent to CVTS, then we are hoping that it will have a quantum leap. I mean, I don't want to just say that 20%, that's our goal, but at least that we can, if we can cross the mark of 15%, then it's, uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. I mean, that shows that, you know, now you are already 15. That's the line we, we are. Right now we want to go beyond 15 if we just hit the 20%, that's great. But um, So our focus is looking at the uh, junction issue, interface issue. You yep. can bypass the defect you have in CBTL because they're, they're inherently there. It's very hard to remove those defects. But we have some theoretical simulation which showed that even if you have some defect, if the junction is right, it is... Uh, the whole device works as if the defects are not there. So that is yep. what we are doing. And if we go beyond 15%, I think it will be really interesting CGTS. And, and the CGTS material is, is robust, it's, it's reliable. Um, and it's, it's and all the components that that um, sounds like a very fault tolerant approach that you're do, doing there. And, um, and I really wish you the best with it. Ste- stepping up from that yeah. technology yeah. level, um, Say you achieve these thin film cells. Can you talk to us a bit about the the user applications of them? Will you effectively, for example, to be able to produce uh, blankets or perhaps I should say sheets that can be rolled out across a roof and, and just tacked down or glued down? Will it, will it be practical to have um, transparent layers on windows that, that um, pick up some of the energy and make electricity but still give you a transparent window? And, and what other applications would there be for these thin film technologies? We've only got a, a couple of minutes left. Yes, well, I mean, with CVTS, because of uh, its processing temperature, you can you can produce it in um, in uh, in a plastic, not exactly plastic. You can at least produce in captain uh, substrates. You can also produce in um, actually right now we have uh, you know flexible glass from Corning, which we are actually working side by side. We're trying to we're making. Uh, on rigid glass, and then we try to repeat that in, in flexible glass. 
Mm-hmm. So definitely this material can be uh, grown flexibly on flexible glass or stainless steel uh, foils and possibly in captain, which is, which is a little bit of challenge. And it, uh, the good thing is in Binghamton University, we have another center known as, known as CAM, which is a center for advanced manufacturing um, I don't know what the other M stands for. So it, it's for Center for Advanced Micro Manufacturing. So uh, we have um, we have road roll facilities in CAM, which is actually one of the kind I heard one of the kind in the world. So the way the Bingham University Research Centers are working is we we create proof of concept in the lab, like in our center, and then that that we can easily take to the CAM, and CAM will produce it in slightly bigger scale, and eventually it goes to the manufacturing. So CAM is somehow a liaison between the proof of concept and the manufacturing. Uh, so uh, that's, that part is going on. And to come back to your question whether we can have transparent uh, type of uh, solar cell that can be you know, placed in, in the, uh, on the window, um, the CGTS is... is um, unlikely, but if you, there are some research going on right now. Uh, it's not going on in the CGTS, but in SIGs. People are making wide band gap with materials by doping with other materials, like thin electron load, which means if you make very thin, uh, you know, very thin uh, material and with, with almost two electron volt band gap, it won't be very efficient, but you can you can stick that on a window and yep. uh, you so know, you can, can sacrifice you can sacrifice the efficiency, power. but then have a transparent layer. Um, we've only got um, six, less than sixty seconds left. Just briefly, can you tell us um, that we hear about multiple thin film technologies, organic PV, perovskite cells? Um, are there any major advantages and disadvantages, very briefly, that you'd like to mention on those? Well, yeah, and and. Uh, on CGTS, definitely the, the performance, device performance is a big issue. Uh, that um, because of the, you know, uh, Johnson property, because of the enhanced property of the material, in terms of perovskites, uh, the lead component and the reliability, because uh, the most efficient perovskite devices have organic component and lead. So if we can replace lead and then the organic component by other inorganic materials, then we can actually, it, it could be used. Okay. Professor, we, we are out of time um, being a live show. We've got no grace here. Thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate that. For our listeners, uh, there's an exciting event happening soon, which is the release of the BZE Electric Vehicle Report. It's to be launched in Brisbane on August 12th and at Hunter EV Festival on August the 13th, so check out Eventbrite. Um the Beyond Zero Show is brought to you with the climate change by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions and recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community network. Thank you for listening thank you. And, and thank you again, Professor. Thanks, Professor. Thank you for having me. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Punk hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. 
the market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.